and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, Yes. how you doing? I'm eager to tell, I'm e- eager to share with our listeners a new, exciting new opportunity. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, is it a timeshare? <laughs> well, I mean, we don't, we don't, we don't like to think of it as a timeshare. Right. Uh, yes. No, it's premium content. Indeed. Uh, which is kind of what a timeshare is, right? Um, <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, I wanted to remind everybody once again that, uh, you know, Hey, I'm sure you're bummed that award season is over, but you can extend it if you want by purchasing our fifth annual battleship pretension movie awards, otherwise known as the BPs. Yeah. Um, at uh, battleshippretension.com it's a dollar 50 and what it is it's me david and scott uh revealing the winners and then just talking about who won who lost who should have been nominated and then just 2017 in general so it was a lot of fun yeah imagine like if at the uh at the academy awards right Mm mm-hmm Ansel Elgort or whatever reads the winner and then gives his opinion on the winner. <laughs> yeah. It's something that I, it's somebody, when we did the BPs a few years ago, I think when, when Carol won best picture, cause you and I always present picture, uh, and somebody pointed out that like literally the first thing that happened was, and the winner is Carol. And then apparently the first thing I said was like, now I'm not a big fan of Carol. And he just said, he's like, because that's something that you're just not going to find at other award shows. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun and, uh, and I'm very happy with the winners. Uh, I think the things that won are the things that should have won, uh, Oscars. Oh, okay. Uh, well you'll, you, you guys can find out for yourself, uh, what things Tyler's talking about. It's only a dollar 50 and it's what? 90, it's about 90 minutes. minutes yeah. 90, 90 minutes. Uh, of of good solid movie talk exactly so, so and you can find available. that at battleshipretention.com there's a little ad on the left hand side yep all right okay now let's get to we're getting into our topic la- uh, later um but as of this recording yesterday about 24 hours ago film twitter was all a buzz mm-hmm. because of of something that um was tweeted by uh gregory elwood of the gregory elwood of the playlist I'm going to read the tweet to you. I already, I already read it to you, but right. li- listeners, maybe the listeners are, you know, healthy functioning people and aren't on film Twitter, uh, all the time. Like I am, um, and didn't see this. So, uh, Gregory Elwood's complaint, um, was, I quote, film criticism has reached a strange point where it's now, it's now commonplace to review the message instead of the movie. It's a trend that has slowly been building with the competition from think pieces, but it's slightly worrisome, especially when it comes from smart critics, end quote. Um, I, uh, I immediately disagree with this for a number of reasons. Um, because I, I think what it comes down to is this part in the middle when he says review the message instead of, the movie. Mm-hmm. And to me, the message of a movie is part of it. In fact, as right. long as we've been running battleship com and it's current, you know, uh, or at least not current, it's previous, uh, whatever as of, as of like ongoing review site. So it's right. like early 2011. I have always, and some, to some extent, just subconsciously included some sort of analysis or discussion of what I think the movie is saying or what its themes or messages are to me. That's kind of one of the ways that I've always thought about movies as as for, at least for as long as I've been thinking about movies seriously, Mm -hmm. I've always been saying like, what does this mean? Or what am I maybe learning from this? Um, and so 
to say the people who are reviewing the message instead of the movie is uh, it, it flies in the face of how I even think about movies. Yeah, it's almost like that that old debate of like style over substance or or instead of or mm-hmm. whatever. It's like if you do it right, or frankly, even if you don't, the two are kind of intermingled. Like yeah. they 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 can't be so easily separated. Uh, but it reminds me of a thing that you and I discussed forever ago, the Matt Zoller sites article, right about the filmmaking. Yeah. Reviewing but, form, I believe is the name uh, of that episode. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I agree much more with him. And I think because he's not saying that, uh, Matt Zoller sites was never saying write only about filmmaking. Right. And I feel like that's kind of the gong that Gregory Elwood is, is throwing here to say that, uh, to, to, to say, only write about certain things or don't write about certain things. I think it, it really, the crux of my problem with this argument is that phrase instead of, Mm -hmm. um, because I don't care if you don't want to write about what a movie is, is saying or its place in the conversation or the culture, whatever. Right. If you don't write about that, that's fine. Yeah. But if you do want to write about that, doesn't mean you're not reviewing the movie. That's part of the movie. I guess that is true. Um, I'd be I'd be fascinated to know more about what he means, and I'm I'm sure there's uh, you said there's a lot of conversation about it. Yeah. Did he reply? Did he elaborate? Or did did he kind of stay out of it once he'd made his statement? Uh, no, he definitely uh, re- re- replied um, to many different people. Many different. So it's it's, it's a mess. I'm sure it's, it's, it's impossible yeah, it's hard, to read. Yes, hard to, find, to follow. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I I see what he. I think I see what he means. I'm not sure exactly. Like, if he is talking about something that is becoming more of a conversation these days, which is that, you know, people are much. Which was actually a big part of my uh, my Politico piece, which I think people can still read, although it's buried at this point. Yeah, because it's a few days old. Um, but. Uh, you know, the idea that when people talk about a movie, they talk about what it might be trying to do and trying to say instead of how it's trying to do it mm-hmm. um, and and whether or not it's fitting into the larger cultural conversation. Like, there are a lot more pieces about that than there are about the film and the filmmaking. And I'll be honest, I don't read enough reviews to know if that's actually true. Hmm. Um, I definitely know that at school... That is kind of, that's kind of true. Um, but that's the thing is like something else that has come about in school is the realization that, as I said before, you really can't divorce them. Like every, yeah. everything is a part of filmmaking at this point. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and I'm going to get all identity politics SJW on you, on you over here. All right. But, um, there is no rule of or set of rules of yeah. what is valuable about a movie. There are assumptions yeah. based on the way things have always been done. They've always been yeah. done by the old guard. And I guess is you're seeing, um, more, uh, you know, quote unquote wokeness or more, mm-hmm. uh, um, not as many more, but some more critics of color, more female critics, more, more LGBT critics who are, who, who are saying like, I'm not, they're, they're, they're not disrespecting the movie because they're valuing different things than, than the establishment always has. Right. They're bringing new perspectives and that's just as much about the movie as, as anything no. else. I don't, I did find something that I wanted to, because you asked, I didn't even think to look or at least, or to bring his responses up to this. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, but because you asked about it, I started, I scrolled down a little bit and he does talk a little bit 
more about the idea that critics are, um, then this gets even thornier, um, that, that he sees critics maybe papering over or ignoring the flaws of a movie because it has a message that is good or that they agree with. Um, and I, 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 I guess I could see how that would be a problem, but I also think I go back to this thing where like, well, if the thing that you value most about a movie is what it has to say, then that's those flaws aren't as important to that person as they are to you. To me, I probably, when it comes to opinions on what makes a good movie, I'm probably more in line with Gregory Elwood, but I'm way more okay. In fact, this, then this is my, the only addition that I added to this conversation. Oh, you chimed in. Uh, not, not, I didn't at him or anything. I just sort of commented on the idea to me, the best part of, and the main reason to read other critics is to think about movies in a way that hadn't occurred to you. Yeah. And, and so to me, I, I feel like, I don't have any problem with Gregory Elwood's philosophy of reviewing movies. Sure. I think if he wants to review movies the way that he, that he wants to fo- focusing on whatever, you know, uh, with the things that he values over the message, that's fine. I'll, I'll happily read him. I want to see those yeah. points of view, but I think it, it's w- w- where you come into the sort of prescriptive way of saying like, no, the, what this critic is doing is not, uh, as honest or true or valuable as what this critic is doing. That I that I don't agree with. There's there's no rules here. Yeah, I would say denigrating anybody uh, anybody's approach is not a great idea. That said, I see more Christian movies than you, and <laughs> and I and I do read Christian reviews of secular films and Christian films, and. You know, on one hand, it's like what I just said is I shouldn't denigrate what they're looking for. But at the same time, I have a hard time. Here's here's what I'll say is that when I read some of these reviews that say like, well, this film has this message and thus we shouldn't be seeing it or I, I don't recommend it based on that. Part of me was like, okay, so you're not actually a film critic. You don't care about the film. You don't care about, you only care about it insofar as it is a delivery device for this message, whether, and you either agree with the message or you don't like, there's no talk of filmmaking really at all. And it's only about, does it affirm or offend what I agree with, uh, what I believe. And I know that that could be seen as just as much, a just as much a, a, a legit approach as anything else. But part of me is like, yeah, but then just don't call yourself a film critic. You're a cultural See, critic I think or a cultural commentator. That's the only part where I disagree because I did, I generally agree with your entire approach there. I think the only part where I'll disagree, uh, and I maybe would have felt this way felt differently, um, just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like to think that I'm always changing and, uh, learning more about the world at least sure. time to the only part I disagree is when you say that, that, that makes them no longer a film critic to mm-hmm. me. They just become a critic that you disagree with. That, to me, that's that's all that's all that is. If you know, if there are critics out there who um, write about movies uh, chiefly from a box office point of view, sure, you know, or or a popularity point of view, yeah, or you know, and there are critics who focus more on 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 actors. There are critics who talk more about. Uh, something that I've never been able to wrap or, or to get into, but um, critics who learn a lot about 
the production of a movie and bring that sort yeah. of like talk about reshoots or whatever in their yeah. review. That's, that's not for me. I don't care about that at all at all. Um, but I, I don't want to say that that person is not a, a film critic at that point. That's the only part where I'll disagree with. You. Here's, here's why I say it. And this is going to sound weird when I read some of this stuff, by and you know what as much as i might disagree with michael medved he's not who i'm talking about like he is at least talking about the film itself but like some of these like reviews that i read i reluctant i'm reluctant to even say they're reviews i guess they they still qualify as that but the vibe i get it's like we could be talking about anything here Mm -hmm. like you happen to be talking about a movie but it could have been a book it could have been a musical album you like it could have been a, a political speech on TV. Like you are locking into such a specific thing that there is nothing specifically filmic about what you are talking about. And they're still talking about a movie. Yeah. So yes, they are still film critics, but yeah, it's that kind of thing where it's like, there's nothing about and, this. And I would like, totally I don't think you value with, this at all. Yeah. I would know? totally agree with you, but I guess yeah, it's the, it's best to not label things one way or another. I'd he, say, yeah, and it's just best to not. I think uh, I, I. I don't think. I don't think there's any good to come of what uh, uh, this initial tweet from Gregory Elwood. I think yeah. his further discussion about are people ignoring the film's flaws um, uh, because of the because of its message. I think if you frame that as a question, like I just did, sure, that's a good conversation. Yeah. If you say. I'm disheartened that people are doing this or I don't think people should be doing this. That becomes combative. And I feel like, I mean, it'll get you a lot more retweets, but it's not, uh, the way that I like to have a conversation. But I think, you know, you and I just talked on the movie journal mm -hmm. about black Panther, which I was largely underwhelmed by. Yeah. And I think, I think we were both able to talk about the movies, uh, cultural, importance and how valued it is right. by people who aren't us. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, and appreciate that and, um, sort of run down our, uh, our problems with the movie, which I think I had more of than you did, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so, but some uh, of your problems when you pointed them out, it's like, that. Oh, that is a good point. I didn't <laughs> think about that. Um, yeah. Uh, and what's interesting about that tweet is, is my, it's not my big takeaway, but something that that struck me, I think first off, I think there's a little bit of pearl clutching in that tweet. Um, <laughs> That's but the, that old guard thing I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, but the idea that like, oh, has the concept of the think piece has it had that big of an influence on more conventional reviews, so that now a v- reviewer feels like if they're not talking about the message. Well, nobody even gives a shit anymore. Um, like people want to know what a movie has to say and whether they agree with it or not. And so like, well, I guess I got to, even if it's not my instinct, I guess I should more overtly talk about that. And I say this as somebody who, you know, once I get, once I start my other podcast uh, again, um, you know, over more than one lesson, we talk almost 80, like 70 to 80% about what a film is trying to say. Now we do talk about the form as being a part of the message, uh, you know, but, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, so it's, it is interesting. And, and I wonder if it's even quantifiable 
how big of an influence the idea of the think piece, cultural, political, whatever you want yeah. to say, or spiritual in my instance, uh, how big of an influence it has had on more regular and more conventional film reviews. Um, uh, uh, last thing I'll say, just to, because I, I thought about this, um, going back to that um, Mad Zoller site's review, the, or write about the filmmaking thing. Yeah. I remember, I think it, uh, I think it was our friend Laramie. His reaction mm-hmm. was, don't tell me how to do my job. <laughs> and, at the, um, and at the time I was like, uh, yeah, I guess you're right. But I side with Matt Zoller sites. Yeah. But now I'm having Laramie's reaction to Gregory Elwood. I'm like, don't tell me what to write about. Yeah. Uh, you write about, you write about, I write about, write about, write about, we'll all talk about it in the public, yeah. you know, salon that is, that is Twitter. Yeah. So I like to think of Twitter as a salon. Oh and boy. Not a, uh, fucking like a zoo with the cages unlocked. There you go. Um, but, uh, yeah, don't tell me, don't tell me what to write about. Yeah. I think ultimately what it comes down to, and I, and I'm guilty of it myself is talking about these, uh, critics, these, uh, Christian critics. Um, but yeah, when you ultimately come, it, if it's like, oh, but people could be, if he, if he says, well, somebody could shame you for talking more about form. And it's like, then I'll deal with that. I'll right. deal with that then, yeah. you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I really feel like I need to be more plugged into film Twitter, uh, except uh, that <laughs> you really don't. So this gets me into this other thing. Uh, so we both had top of the show discussions, uh, yeah. and this leads sort of into mine. Uh, which is personal. It's a, it's a personal thing. Um, and I'm not even really sure how to say it. I'm really fucking tired. Like it's, I've been unplugged from politics for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, at the recommendation of my therapist. But when I, but to write that political article, I kind of kind of had to plug back in. Yeah. And even plugging back in through movie discussion, like not even just like regular political discussion, but like politics as filtered through artistic discussion, even that just made me so tired. And I don't know if it's that I'm just getting older. I don't know if it's the conversation is changing or if, or it could be that it just reflects really difficult political times, but just the idea, like even like film Twitter based on what you've said on one hand, like were I younger, I feel like it'd be more, it'd be invigorating the idea of like engaging in these conversations, this back and forth. But now I hear that. I'm like, I wonder how many people are actually listening or people are just putting it out there. Like I looked at, I stupidly, looked at some of the comments on that political article. There were people who said very nice things. Mm-hmm. And there are people that said very mean things about my article, which is fine. I, I kind of expected it. But then like the way people were then going at each other, I was like, man, like this is, this is exhausting. And, and yeah. I feel like I wish I never used to think this. I wish there are just things that I could turn off in my own brain because I exhaust myself now 
because whether I'm thinking like last week, I, listeners of our BP show, when I'm talking about like the representation of Christians, you know, like, like, uh, practicing Christians or active Christians, as I said on Twitter, like in talking about that, I'm sure people heard the exhaustion in my voice. Like, I wish I, w- that was a thing I wasn't thinking about, <laughs> but of course I'm an adult. I'm a, and and I am also changing. And so you just become more aware of things and, and you're trying to figure out like where you fit, where other people fit in cultural and artistic representation. So, you know, this is all good stuff to think about, but I just, I just feel like I can't think about it anymore, which is a weird, a weird place to arrive. And I don't mean to say arrive as though it's final. It isn't. I'm going to, it's not like I'm going to stop doing this podcast or anything like that, or stop talking about movies. Uh, good God, I'm embarking on a uh, teaching career and I don't want to, I don't want to strike that tone at least until I'm at least 50. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so that's, and I don't even know how one can respond. I, do you get this feeling at all? Well, like, I mean, I, um, well, yeah, I know you're, as you mentioned, you're in, in therapy. I'm not anymore, but I learned a lot, um, in therapy. I mean, to, this is not, not something my therapist ever said, but in terms of a platitude, you know, that you've probably heard before, but I think it's true that things only have as much power as you give them. Sure. And so I feel like, um, I've learned coping mechanisms. If something happens that makes me angry or that makes me panicky, that's my real problem is anxious, anxious, anxiety and, and panic attacks. I I haven't really, um, said this to anyone, but I actually did have a sort of a panic attack at Sundance this year. Um, not, not a drastic one. I mean, the worst, worst one I've ever had was at comic con. Uh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to be something about like being, um, out of town without my wife, something somehow Hmm. really tends to, um, uh, make me more vulnerable to that sort of thing. But my general, my, my general approach, my coping mechanism, if something happens that makes me have an immediate negative reaction is to think about the fact that I will most likely still be alive in two weeks and this won't be a problem anymore in mm. most cases. Do you know what I mean? I guess so, Like when yeah. something stressful happens at work or like if I fuck up something at work, which, which, um, yeah. kind of happened recently. I'm not sure. Uh, it was, I don't know. I'm not sure it was a hundred percent my fault, but I didn't, sure. but, uh, uh, what I think about is like within two weeks, three other stressful things are going to happen to everyone else that I yeah. work with and no one's going to remember this and it's not going to have, caused a delay or a problem or anything. And so I guess that's, that's just what I, uh, just a peek behind what I learned from therapy is to, uh, I guess the platitude that there is this too shall pass. And I think, I mean, certainly I, I have a hard time letting things go in general. Um, but I do also think, cause it's something that Jen and I used to tell each other that like, will this matter in a year? I mean, and then, and then we would actually start working backwards. Will it matter in six months? Will uh-huh. it matter in one month? Will it matter tomorrow? Stuff like that. And sometimes the answer is no. If like, if it doesn't matter tomorrow, then like, I, why am I even spending uh-huh. time on it? But I do think that opinions and the and the divide politically or what or culturally, whatever you want to say, is so extreme right now that. Right there are immediate long lasting consequences. When you, when, when Trump was elected and you and I wrote that, uh, 
I guess I wrote it, but, um, the little yeah. thing saying like, Hey, we we're in favor of, you know, free speech and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And because I had incorporated a little thing about like stuff that's happening on college campuses, like somebody, I forget if they emailed or they, com- they commented, commented and they simply yeah. said like, like I'm done with this. Like I'm tired of hearing like this right wing hemming and hawing and all that kind of thing. Like, like what the, what the president says is so much worse than what is happening on college campuses. Like, wow. Like you didn't give me even a ch- like one chance. Like, mm-hmm. and I think that's the thing is like, now that's just one listener who gives a shit. Like, you know, you, one you listen, listener. yeah. Like you listening at home. <laughs> like if you stop listening, I don't care. Um, uh, <laughs> just don't tell your friends to not listen to. Um, but, uh, I'm joking on that one, but you know, like that was literally like the, the response was extreme, immediate and, and final. And so in that sense, like, I do worry about like, what if I say the wrong thing and we lose and there's a, and let's say, let's say somebody as they have before, let's say they complain to Mubi, our sponsor. Oh yeah. This, which this episode is brought to you, who this episode is brought to you by. Yeah. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a moment. Yeah. But like what if they com- complain to Mubi? Like they have the, the reaction that we're talking about right now that I feel like a few years ago people didn't have. Uh, hmm. And then they go to something and before you know it, like, oh, we've lost our sponsor. Like, that is something that does matter based very much on what we could say, yeah. um, what we could say that somebody doesn't respond well to. And I just, I don't know if, the, like, this idea of, like, going back to, like, a more innocent time of talking about movies, maybe it's just that I was younger and I had more of a stomach for this kind of thing, but I don't think so. I think it is just, like, the the cultural moment we're in right now just everybody is angry and looking to get angrier i think or looking to justify that anger because somebody else has said something that is absolutely unconscionable and and i think it just and you know that like just in general without going to specifics like it's been a rough few months for me in general so almost mm-hmm. everything makes me tired right now but um but yeah, it's just a thing that exhausts me when I think about it. Literally, my friend Amsi, who, by the way, did the music for the BPs, Thank and you, they're man. really, really wonderful. It was, it was great. You, can, you guys can find out for yourself for, yeah, yeah. Uh, for only $1.50. And he told me to uh, say that you can follow him on Instagram, uh, or as he likes to say, Instagramsy. Uh, anyway, so, uh, but he literally That's said the other day. Of, he kind of humor. Oh, I know. He did an impression of me uh-huh. and he said, he goes, he's like, I'm going to say the, the Tyler line, which is, I don't have the fucking energy for that. <laughs> and I was like, is that like my line? He goes, yeah, you say it a lot. Um, and that's absolutely true. And so like, I'm not saying this to like make listeners like feel bad for me. I'm actually curious to know how many of them feel the same way. Oh, okay. Whether it be certainly politically, I'm sure a lot of people feel that, but I think it just seeps into everything. And now like, whether you're talking about the Oscars or individual films or whatever it is, I feel like everything, so much stuff is attached to it now that maybe always was, but attached with it is a much more extreme cultural moment. And I don't know. I just wonder like, uh, I, I guess, don't know. sorry, I don't yeah. mean to bring things yeah, down, I, I, but I, like I, it's I, where I, I am right now. Listeners on that too. Um, I, I guess I tend to, um, keep busy has always helped. Sure. Um, which you'd, I mean, 
I don't necessarily mean always mean busy, busy. I do mean that because I um, yeah. work a lot, uh, not just on not just at work, but also yeah. uh, on. You know, I come home. I uh, I've taken to getting up early to write for an hour before mm. I go to work. That's probably why you've seen so many more yeah. <laughs> reviews and stuff uh, recently. Um, uh, so I do like work a lot, but also I keep my social calendar pretty busy. Yeah. Um, be it stuff with my wife, with my friends, or with my wife and my friends. Um, and, and so basically just like I was talking about looking two weeks down the line, I like the idea of always have something, having something coming up in the next week yeah, or two that's to true. look forward to, I guess. Yeah. Cause you can't, you can't, uh, get rid of all the negative things, but you can, you know, yeah shore up some positive things against it. I guess that's what I try to do. And I'm lucky enough to be able to do that. I have a job that I not only like, but that pays me well enough. Yeah. Um, and same with my wife and I have a great, uh, a great wife. I have a nice, uh, nice home. I have, uh, an annoying cat that I love, um, uh, that I make up songs about all the time. I don't think I knew that. Well, um, I, th- no, I think I talked about it before. I don't necessarily make up songs so much as, whatever song I have stuck in my head, oh, sure. I will change the lyrics, uh, to be about my cat, Rishlu. Got it. <laughs> um, and you know, I think, I think something that could help me and maybe help other people as well. I remember many years ago, and I've told this story before many years ago, I had seen Holy Motors uh-huh. and I was feeling very frustrated about it because I had psyched myself out into thinking that no matter what I thought it was going to be the wrong thing. Right. I remember this. And yeah. so, and I was almost having a panic attack hey, you called me. and I called you at like 2 AM, uh, what, like one or 2 AM. Okay. And we wound up just talking about the movie uh-huh. and it calmed me down. And that's the thing is like, there's so much stuff. We can't help the fact that stuff is attached. It, it has attached itself to movie discussions. It's just going to happen. But when it comes right down to it, like like Fathom Events is that who they do not sponsor this show. This is a freebie. All right, um, a little taste. Yeah, uh, <laughs> they can wet their beak a little bit. Um, <laughs> but uh, they're putting Vertigo out in theaters, and I've never seen it on a big screen. And Jen wanted to see it, so like, and that's going to be in I think like a week and a half. Mm. And so that is a thing that I can go and see and. I'll go and I'll be in the middle of watching vertigo and I'll just like be absorbing vertigo. Like when I see, and almost invariably when I go to see a movie, when I'm in the midst of the movie and sure. And while I'm thinking about it afterwards, like I'm just reveling in, if it's a good movie, of course, like I'm just reveling in like getting to walk around in somebody else's shoes for a while Mm -hmm. and experience the world through somebody else's eyes. And yeah, then all this other stuff comes along and that's, and maybe that's unfortunate. Maybe it isn't, but I have to try to remind myself that like, yeah, but where this starts is this place of empathy that Roger Ebert has talked so much about and that I theoretically am on board with. Um, and so I think that is, that is a coping mechanism is that like, all of this stuff, it might change the movies that get made in a good way or a bad way, perhaps, but like it might change that. But the movies themselves, as far as what the goals are from a, from the point of view of the artist or the, or the director, like that has never changed. It's always somebody who just has something they want to get across or something they want to explore. And then they're going to do it to the best of their ability. And as long as that doesn't change, then like I have no reason to get to be tired about that. So I'm sorry to have turned this into a therapy session. That was great. Um, but, uh, as it turns out my, uh, I can't, (laughs) I'm not able to go to my therapist right now because, uh, there was some, uh, 
some uh, clerical issues with the state of California. So he's not so like for like a month, he's not seeing any clients. So this is wow. where I am right now. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Well, oh, maybe you, maybe you got something out of that. Yeah. I don't know. Um, all right. Well, uh, who brought you all? I know you mentioned it before. Who brought the listeners all that discussion? <sighs> well, I'm sure they regret it now. But this episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a handpicked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $8.99 a month. Plus, when you when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. Currently available on Mubi is Fire. Works Wednesday by uh, Asghar Farhadi, uh, director of A Separation and The Salesman. Released in 2006, Fireworks Wednesday is, a, is another complex exploration of marriage set against the backdrop of Persian New Year. Now, the only film of his that I've seen is A Separation, which I do consider to be one of the 10 best films of the 2010s. Yeah. Um, I think it's absolutely marvelous. Yeah, um, it's a masterpiece. But I, didn't I saw the see- one after that, too. Uh, I don't know the name of the one after that. Not the that. salesman. It was between. Okay. Um, I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, I can't recall. But um, but yeah, and that's the thing is so the way they the way movie described it is they said you know this film Fireworks Wednesday is it's another exploration of marriage and it's like well if a separation is any indication like it's and it's also fascinating culturally that like these it's a completely different culture than I live in but like the some of these, some of the tenets of marriage and some of the complexities of marriage, like, yeah, they're kind of the same, no matter where you go, which I think is fascinating. Yeah. And I haven't seen a separation in a while. I got to see it. Watch, uh, the past was the other one. That the was, past. That's that right. Yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, so you can find, uh, that. And then they're also doing a retrospective on, uh, Godard showing some of his, uh, lesser known films. So uh, a lot of stuff to, to watch on movie. And there is a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for one month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I.com slash Battleship to redeem now. Or you can, can click on the ad at BattleshipPretension.com. And I want to tell you about TweakedAudio.com. TweakedAudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Uh, Tyler and I both use them every day. Um, I forgot to do what I usually do, which is call up. What was I listening to today? Um, you know, what? I listened to the new, uh, Sade song, first Sade song in however many years that she wrote and recorded for, um, a wrinkle in time. Oh, okay. It's a, it's a good song. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's good. Um, and, uh, so yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I use them for, but the, the, they make everything sound great. You can find them at a low, low price. These earbuds at tweakedaudio.com. But if you hang on a second, Oh, okay. See things through, go the extra mile, show a little patience. Like Axl Rose said, you can listen to patience on your ear- sure. earbuds. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. No, they said that you can't, <laughs> you know, there is one, um, what's not one of the songs on appetite of destruction is, is not on Spotify. Like, huh? Like it's a uh, like a songwriting credit thing or whatever. Oh, like okay. they don't have they they aren't like one person who has a credit on one song like didn't sign off I guess and so if you <laughs> and so yeah, Appetite for Destruction on Spotify is one song shorter uh, mm. and I can't remember which which song it is. Um, it's the best one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, anyway, at, at checkout, if you use the offer code Pretension. 
You get one third off that already low, low price and no shipping charges. So go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite clear liners are doctor directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at bite.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Bite. Tyler? Yes. Let's get into it, shall we? All right. Uh, now, what we're going to be talking about. Is something that we have talked around for years, mm-hmm. which is nostalgia. Yeah, I, but I, somehow we didn't do it. I looked, I couldn't find that we did an episode. I know. It seems I, like we would have. By I now. feel like we have to have, but at the same time, maybe we called it something else and I couldn't find it. Probably, but um, but it, but it would have been in the description. Like, yeah, yeah. So, but it's uh, it's on my mind again because I had because of everything that's moving going right now. Well, specifically, okay. Now, I don't know anything about... I didn't know anything about... Until I saw Black Panther the other night and saw the trailer. I didn't know anything about Ready Player One. I never read the novel. I know it was a popular novel. Um, the, so, you know... Um, I've, n- I've not read the novel, but I did listen to a podcast co-hosted by Mike Nelson of Mystery Science Theater uh-huh. called 370-something Pages We'll Never Get Back. <laughs> and I listened to every episode where they... Every episode they cover three chapters and talk about how horrible it is and they convinced me like they read passages and it sounds terrible. Yeah. Um, I know people like it. People so, that I trust like it. So, um, uh, my wife and I, when we go to the movies during the trailers, we, we, we like to do a thing where after every trailer we will give a thumb, it'll be up or down or sideways or sort of three yeah. quarters, like a rating, like how excited are we based on this trailer? And I, my, my wife called me out for cheating because for the Ready Player One trailer, I gave my first ever double thumbs down. And she was like, no, it's one thumb only. That's, oh, well. that's the rule. Um, uh, but uh, so it looked awful. And then insult to injury. Have you seen these posters? Yes. This this is my you're being tired of politics thing. Okay. I was immediately so incensed and annoyed yeah. annoyed to my very core grinding my teeth at these stupid posters uh because i'm so so skeptical and so cynical i don't know no they're cynical yeah this for those who haven't seen them somehow basically there's a bunch of digital posters online that the studio made where they put the characters from Ready Player One into existing posters, everything yeah. from The Matrix to Labyrinth to to Bullet to yeah. uh, Back to the Future. There's there's more that I, I didn't look at all of them. There's like f- like fifty of them or something. Yeah, like it's that. crazy. Um, I think like uh, License to Drive, maybe. Um, I only saw a few of them. Um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> But incidentally, sorry to interrupt, but I'm running out of things to say in the film marketing class that I am in, um, our last class was only a couple days after those posters were Uh released. And she said like, 
she's like, yeah, because she's like the head of marketing for CBS film. So like she knows what yeah. she's doing and she knows what she's talking about. And she said, if she said, this is, it's not necessarily a publicity nightmare. Uh, but she said, if I had been in charge of that, I would have floated one poster, see how people reacted and then do another few. Uh-huh. She's like, but when you do all at once, you're all in and you are betting that people are going to be in favor of them. And plenty of people were. A lot of people weren't though, like yeah. way more people than the studio anticipated. And it actually created negative buzz and something of a backlash towards a film that was previously anticipated by a lot of people. Mm. And I'm sure some people are still anticipating it, but like, yeah. but she said that like, yeah, there's in, in circles, people looked at the response and there was some positive, like you said, looked at the negative response and said like, Ooh, bad call. Hmm. So it was really interesting. Yeah, that is, that is interesting. Um, but it just, I saw, I can't take credit for this. I saw on Twitter, someone <laughs> referred to ready player one as the Funko pop movie. And <laughs> that is so Perfect, because I'm not nuts about Funko Pops either. Until of course there's a David, David and Tyler Funko oh. Pops someday. Then I'll be, you know, uh, we'll all get one eventually, and there'll probably be variants. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, I, I, I think this th- just it, there's so much of it, and it feels like I don't know if this is recency bias. It feels like it's shallower now. And I think we'll get into this because when when we talk about nostalgia in movies, I want to go back and talk about nostalgia in other times, Mm -hmm. you know, um, your American graffitis and stuff like that, you know? And, uh, but this is just, it's just remember that, right? It's, that's all it is. And I find that so cynical and I find, I, I am generally immediately skeptical of something that I feel like was designed to appeal to me. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It's oh, kind yeah. of a Mark, like a Groucho Marx, like I don't want to be a member <laughs> yeah. of a club that would have me type of thing. You're like, why are you trying to appeal to me? I'm not that yeah. great. Yeah. 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 Um, it's like, yeah. If a waitress is flirting with you, she's not, she doesn't want your number. She just wants a tip. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that's what this is. This is Warner brothers flirting with us. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, so I, my, uh, yeah, I, I, I guess I don't know what. Uh, let's let's toss off to get into the conversation. Okay. Jumping off from these um, posters that drove me out of my mind. Do you think that this that I am exhibiting recency bias, or do you think nostalgia has become uh, cheaper, more cynical, and more prevalent? I think okay, an argument could be made that it is, or that it has, but. I think because nostalgia has now caught up to our childhood. Right. That's that's what I'm worried about. Yeah. Like anything, I'm sure there are plenty of things in the nineties that were a throwback to the seventies or the sixties, but I didn't grow up in like, yeah. Alternative uh, radio bands covering schoolhouse rock songs. No question. Which I ate up at the time, not even having much. I learned schoolhouse rock songs from like fucking blind melon. doing them. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Cause we don't have, we wouldn't have a problem with it cause we don't have any association with right. it. But now we're into like stranger things and ready player one, which is all about the eighties when we were growing up and into the nineties now. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so, like I said, there's Matrix post the the yeah. Ready Player One Matrix poster. And so, the, and it's like, why are they doing Bullet? Who cares about Bullet? Like that's weird. <laughs> um, Bulletproof Monk, maybe. Sure. Um, <laughs> wow, I forgot about. I know. In my mind, it's like. What, what, what else has a bullet in it? Yeah. Um, you said Bulletproof Monk, and for a split second, I pictured the cover of Ballistic X versus Sever. Why wouldn't but, you? Uh, no, Bulletproof Monk was Sean Williams Scott and Chow Yun-Fat. I believe right? so, yeah. Yeah, never saw either one of those. Neither did I. Um, but, uh, but with a name like that, it doesn't fade. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I think it could just be that the gener- like this, our generation of movie writers... It, it, we are now recognizing stuff and we either are super into it and be like, Oh my gosh, I remember that. You know, it's, it's hard right. not to fall into that and be like, Oh neat. Look, but I do think that if uh, this is where I'm going to be a superior asshole, uh-huh. um, I think if you're a critic worth his salt, you recognize, even if you have that feeling, you then are like, okay, hang on. They're counting on that. They're counting on that feeling in me, which means I need to be double suspicious. Um, right. Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, but I do think that honestly, I don't want to be somebody who's like, ah, the internet caused this, but I do think the internet allows people has allowed people to engage in nostalgia to a much deeper degree okay. than yeah. generations of, of the past. And so I think studios now maybe more than ever have, they have plenty of reason to engage in nostalgic things because they know that it's popular. Uh, so there's, okay. Oh boy. Oh, this is a sad admission. What I'm about okay. to say, there is a, because I've been, I was teaching the kids about Jurassic park and Jurassic world and that sort of thing. Um, I've been looking like all kinds of YouTube videos about Jurassic park. Um, and there's this channel by this British guy who's very nice and charming and super geeky. And this isn't all he does, but it's the bulk of what he does. He just like uh, analyzes to the degree that you can like old Jurassic park toys. Uh And he like does unboxing videos and all that. So I watch them and just like the degree to which he gets excited about those part of me is just like, come on, man. But then I realized like, Hey, you know what? I don't get that excited over anything. Uh So good for him. But I've watched like 10 of these things now. And some of them was some of them. I'm like, I had that. Yeah. Oh boy. How exciting. And then I realized like now this guy at the very least, there's nothing cynical about what he's doing because he actually enjoys it. But a studio could look at that attitude of mine they could look at what he's doing look at how many subscribers he has which is like a million uh or something like that look at my reaction look at the comments and just people saying i remember that as though their memory of that is itself an endorsement of the thing itself and so i do think that the internet has just provided all kinds of great market research for a studio to know what they can you know jurassic world itself is an act of nostalgia mm. as is, you know, it's just, the, I mean, they're bringing back Roseanne for God's sake. There are sequels to shows. Now I feel like there have been spinoffs in the past. Uh-huh. There have been spin like Frazier and, you know, Trapper John or whatever. I don't know why that came to mind, <laughs> but it yeah, is true. Um, but, but, uh, uh, but there were, do you know, uh, family matters is a perfect stranger. I, I did know that. Yes. Is that one of those Jimmy Pardo like obvious, those trivia? obvious trivia yeah. things? Everyone knows that. Now. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, but a spinoff is one thing. This is like, Hey, you like this character from this. Let's go explore their lives. This is literally like, Hey, you know, those characters you liked, we're bringing all of them back now. Uh Fuller house, X files, Will and Grace is coming back. Roseanne. Oh, okay. Yeah. Roseanne is coming back, which is weird given how it ended. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's, um, I mean, Will and Grace also ignored its ending. Yeah. 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 Cause they did like the ending of the, I was a big Will and Grace fan. Mm -hmm. Uh, the ending of the finale flash forward to where like, I think, like Grace was like married with a kid, maybe. I think so. Yeah. And now they're just like, no, they still live together. (laughs) Yeah. Which, and I can't think of anything more. Okay. Let's look at it this way. The, the downside of nostalgia is that it freezes things in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't think of anything more frozen in time than, Oh, these characters progressed to the point that they had a kid. Nope. They didn't. Let's go back to when you liked them yeah. or when like it literally and keeps try you to fr- ignore the fact that it, it's maybe a little bit sad that they're like in their fifties yeah. and live is so have the same living arrangement. Yeah. And so like it literally, so nostalgia, like, looking at it this way this way whether it be some of the developments in Roseanne in the last season Will and Grace it is negating those so that we can continue to enjoy it the way we used to right. and it it halts progress yeah, but probably that, in, in the piece itself and maybe in the viewer uh i think this is interesting because it's something i know i haven't watched these um old Jurassic Park uh, unboxing videos. I'll send, I'll send them your way. Don't, don't <laughs> no, you I'm worry. I'm not going to watch them, I don't think. I'm going to send you one a day. I don't know. So I don't know how he's doing it, but what you were just saying reminded me of, there was a website you and I both used to read. I don't think it exists anymore. Okay. Called X Entertainment. Do you remember X it, Entertainment? Yeah. It changed into something called Dinos, uh, Dinosaur Dracula. And okay. he's still he's still doing it. He has a podcast. And, you know, it's... But the quality of his, writing, of his writing has gotten a lot better. Not yeah. that it was bad then. No, but, and, but that guy's fun because he's not... It's not just like, oh boy. Yeah. Like he's reconsidering in a way yeah. the past for those who don't who don't know i need to read dinosaur dracula because i haven't read it since it was x entertainment yeah um but uh he basically review yeah stuff from his childhood yeah. but also he would review like modern day candies and stuff which is like yeah. something you see a lot more now on the website with the doughboys podcast which i love um uh and i, I really i really liked it because it was like yeah i like i remember he had a, a like shot by shot breakdown of the one, um, I can't remember which anthology series it was, but, um, Robert Zemeckis directed the one with Christopher Lloyd. Was that tales from the dark side or was that amazing? I think stories? that's amazing stories, but okay. I, I think it's amazing stories. Um, it, yeah, he had like with screen caps and stuff, something you see a lot more yeah. now, but this was 12, 15 yeah. years ago. Yeah. He was doing it. And I really like that kind of stuff because I like, bringing a critical eye in yeah. a way. I mean, he's still saying, I love this stuff or whatever, but he's bringing a critical eye to nostalgia. And so I think nostalgia in a certain way, if you're willing to be mercenary about your own nostalgia, yeah. it can actually lead to some, some great things. Um, the movie that I came up with, even though this is not something that I was nostalgic for, cause I wasn't around before uh, at the time, but, um, Far from Heaven, Todd Haynes' Far from Heaven. Oh, sure. It's a movie that is both nostalgic for the 1950s Douglas Douglas Sirk melodrama in that sort of milieu, but also is taking a new look at them. You know, approaching them from a new direction, adding new elements, you know, recognizing that it is now 
a different time, you know? Yeah. Whereas I'm not, uh, I, I don't want to, um, uh, uh, I haven't, I, I watched one stranger things episode ever. So, okay. not, uh, but I don't know. Have you watched any of it? I watched the first season. Okay. So is it commenting on, uh, does it have something to say about ET or whatever in its place in our culture? Or is it just a mixtape? Uh, mixtape, but the characters themselves are likable and interesting. Like, okay. You know, that's kind of how, uh, how I felt about super eight, which I liked more than a lot of people because I liked the characters. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, Oh shoot. What were we just talking about? Far Before, from heaven. Far from heaven. That's interesting because there's affection there. It, that's like the per, the perfect kind of nostalgia. And I'd say maybe American graffiti as well, because yeah, I haven't watched it in a long time, but yeah, because it acknowledges like, although with far from heaven, it's more of us. It, it looks at a time, but it also looks at a style, which is like this very, this Douglas Sirk melodrama. And it's like acknowledging like, yeah, but there are certain things they couldn't explore back then. Like, uh, you know, uh, homosexuality or whatever you want to say like, uh, of Dennis Quaid's character. Um, it's so like, okay, so we're going to explore that, but there's no condemnation for the fact that they couldn't explore it back then. In fact, if anything, by exploring it this way, he's acknowledging that there is inherent power in this, in, in this style. Right. You yeah. know, you and I have, have long since, uh, said that like, not long since we've been long saying that melodrama is not a dirty word and that right. if you do it right, it can be in re- remarkably valuable. And I think, Far from Heaven absolutely uh, embraces that and shows that, like, hey, there's a reason that Douglas Sirk was really popular. And yes, some of the appeal of that film for film fans is looking back at that time and be like, oh, we don't see this anymore. It's like, yeah, but it still uses that to get us thinking about stuff now. So I feel like nostalgia is not nostalgia is also not a dirty word as long it can get you to actually reassess and appreciate something on a deeper level but i think so much of nostalgia is just is stranger things which i do enjoy and i think the characters are good i think the the acting is good and all that and the style is still really good there's enough originality in there but there's it's really just banking on something one could even say exploiting something and even then only the surface elements of it um so where would you rank something someone like um quentin tarantino yeah i figure that's who you're gonna say um because he's clearly um mimicking things from his from from the past of, of cinema and I, I do, but I do think he's in sort of a pastiche or collage type of way. He's making yeah. something new out of them, but is yeah. he commenting on them? Do you know what I mean? Is it, I, I guess more recently, I think with his last couple of Westerns, I do think he's, I think he is too saying something about the, about the Western, even post revisionist Western things, like especially with Django Unchained. Oh yeah. And just as much with hateful eight, like things yeah. that were weirdly absent from Westerns yeah. that, 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 that shouldn't have been. Yeah, no, I think he's, I think he's, he's commenting on Westerns most definitely. And I think probably with the, the kill bill movies, which I, I tend to think of as more surfacey than they actually are. I think especially that second one and just the character of the bride in general, mm-hmm. I think is, 
is a fairly in-depth character and i think he's using the style in that case of a spaghetti western and 70s kung fu movies um i think he is he's commenting on like the world of those movies especially the male dominated aspect of those movies um and by incorporating this and, well not just male down with the you know the lack of color i guess in, sure sure um, oh yeah that's true in in old westerns which is great uh, i i've i kind of stopped watching um adam ruins everything uh mm-hmm. I, I still think it's a good show but he did one i think it was the end of last season earlier this season about the old west and like the the actual like racial and gender makeup of the old west was so much different than we yeah. see it like half of like working cowboys were were Mexican, yeah, uh, and we don't we don't we don't see that. It's really fascinating. Yeah, which is one of the reasons why I feel like the Wild Bunch is so valuable. Like a good, po- admittedly in in the bunch itself, there's only like one Mexican guy, but almost everybody they come into contact with is right. Mexican. Yeah. Like it's just, and so I remember when I saw that film, I was like, oh, I'm I'm really not used to this, and. It's not that it made me uneasy, but I was like, oh, it's yeah. in its own way, it's refreshing. I don't know why anybody would ever describe that movie as refreshing. But <laughs> and he cast Mexican. Yes, this wasn't there's a that too. Yeah. Charlton Heston in Touch of Evil yeah, well, type of thing. I still love that movie, but it, it's, yeah. it seems weirder every year. No. And, his, <laughs> and, and his performance is good in it. Mm-hmm. And I actually, it sounds weird, but when his character starts speaking Spanish, uh, he does it really well. Like, he does it really casually. Which, you know, my friends that are, uh, like, uh, Instagram, see, uh, is, Gua- is Guatemalan. And like, and when he, when he speaks with his, when, when he speaks with his family and he just goes into Spanish, like he's not making a big to do about, Hey, look, I'm speaking a different language than you. And in that same way, when Heston does it, like he just does it like he's a hundred percent fluent and that this is not a, not an issue for him. It's actually, it's a, it's a little touch that I like quite a bit. Um, anyway, like Heston was never that much of a, was never that subtle of an actor. And so like, mm-hmm. it's like, Hey everybody, look, I'm, Ch- I'm Chuck Heston speaking Spanish. The temptation to do that probably <laughs> was pretty overwhelming. And the fact that he resisted it is uh, a credit to him. But anyway, sorry. Um, Oh, I, I had something I was about to say and I can't remember what it was. Um, Oh, okay. So the things that we're talking about, um, in these things that have a throwback quality to them, like Quentin Tarantino, like the Coens often. Oh yeah. Um, uh, did you see Hail Caesar? Uh, I forget. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's only one Coen brothers movie I've, uh, never seen. Do you know what it is? Is it a serious man? Uh, no, I've seen a serious man. Is it the lady killers? The lady killers is the only one I've never seen. Um, Which is still like, it's low on their list, but it's still fun. Um, so would you say, uh, would you draw a distinction between postmodernism and nostalgia or is postmodernism just nostalgia with a purpose or nostalgia done right? Do you know what I mean? I like, what would it, would it take that much for super eight? I'm going to use super eight as an example because I've seen it and I haven't seen stranger things, but I mean the same things. Would They're take, very similar. Would it take that much for Super 8 to have become a postmodernist movie? Uh, to have intentionally like set up or relied on our expectations based on the things that it's paying homage to and then subverted them? Do you know what I mean? Okay, ask the question again. The main question is, is 
are postmodernism and nostalgia different things or is postmodernism just nostalgia with a purpose or nostalgia done right? I would say, okay, earlier I was saying that nostalgia is not a dirty word and that I don't want to, I don't want to like crap (laughs) on it. Uh, I'm about to, which is, I feel like I'm reluctant to say that let's say you're getting nostalgic about something, but it causes you to reassess that thing. Um, to look back and maybe you have more affection for it, but it's a deeper affection. Like, you know, we grew up with the, the princess bride and we can look back on that nostalgic, uh, with our nostalgia glasses, like so many other people do. But if we actually w- want to put that to the side, like maybe nostalgia brings us there, but then we put to that, that to the side and just approach it as a work of art only to find that, Oh, it's even better than I thought. In fact, nostalgia is probably keeping me from assessing it the, the, in the way that it needs to be, or the way that it should be. And so I yeah, would I say... I've a couple of movies that have turned out to be better than I... Such even, as? Uh, Candyman is one that I, I think oh, I just, sure. When I was a kid and seeing it like younger than my parents yeah. probably would have liked, I think I just thought of Candyman as being like, oh, he's like Freddy or you know Jason yeah. or whatever. He's another one of those. And they're turning and watching... Brown Rose's uh, Candyman and realizing that it's a really great uh, horror movie that also, um, to go back to earlier conversation, has something to say uh, yeah. about um, you know the uh, sort of uh, permanent uh, permanent poor permanent poverty of yeah. of, of uh, certain classes and certain races yeah. uh, in our society. Really good movie. Yeah, definitely. Nostalgia is what brought me back to RoboCop. Mm. and holy shit like i mean there is so much more there's so much stuff that i did not understand as a kid uh tremors as well which i don't think there's much i don't think it's saying much but stylistically i have so much more appreciation for what it's doing uh especially especially it's sound design but um but is that uh i mean because i i love tremors i also love raiders of the lost ark yeah is raiders of the lost ark or american graffiti are they like tremors are any of those movies actually saying anything about the, the sort of movies that they're, and they're all throwing back to different kinds of movies. Yeah. Um, but are they saying anything or are they just like, let's make this again with modern or was it, was it then at the time, modern technology and modern filmmaking? I think American graffiti is because, you know, you have the, you have like some kind of shitty behavior on the parts of certain characters. Like you have, uh, Ron Howard right. saying like, it's like, Hey, come on, don't you want to give me something to remember you by or something like that? Oh, right. it, it, like trying to coerce, coerce. not uh, coerce like a girl into having sex with them. Like that's not a thing that you saw in movies back then. And it was, right. and while the film is undeniably like affectionate towards that time, I think it also recognized like, yeah, but it, it's not necessarily squeaky clean. Then of course, and happy of course, days comes along and that gets pushed yeah. aside. And of course, American graffiti. I and mean, what year is American graffiti? 73, 73. So American graffiti is made knowing that Vietnam is in the future. Exactly. Which these kids don't know. Yes. Yes. So I'm not sure if I'd say it is a hard bitten, uh, ex- you know, exam. <laughs> of that time but i think it absolutely does suggest that like eh, not everybody was quite so pure um which incidentally is a, a big part of the back to the future um that he goes back to a time that seems innocent only to find that like his mom is like 
a seductress, you know, which is yeah. a, a neat idea. Um, yeah, there's so much I like about that movie. I know. And so much that rubs me the wrong way about it at the same time. But the thing, you know, what gets me, okay, back to the future. Here we go. Is this going to be our, about Ready Player One? You know there's a DeLorean in the trailer. Of course there is. Uh, I don't know if I've seen the trailer, but I'm not surprised. Um, I saw a po- I saw like a teaser a long time ago, and I saw like the Iron Giant in there. Yeah. Um, which is like, oh, it's, that's not from the 80s. That's from 99. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's just from the eighties. I think maybe the were uh, the marketing is hitting the eighties okay. thing because of Stranger Things and stuff like that. But I, my impression is that it's based that's on why there's bullet and stuff in it because based yeah. on Mike Nelson's uh, assessment of the uh-huh. book, it sounds as though the guy who has set up this like scavenger hunt or whatever you want to call it, um, played by Mark Rylance, yeah, is obsessed with eighties specifically. Oh, okay. Um, so there's references to like war games and stuff in there. Um, which is like, yeah, Hey, all right. I, that's a thing I know. Um, but back to the future, like, you know, people our age, who is it? Film school rejects that put, uh, that pulled internet critics a few years ago. Yeah. It was, was more than that. It was 2012 because it was the same year as the sight and sound. So six years ago now. So yeah, we're still talking about it. Oh, it's on everybody's mind. Um, but like it pulled a bunch of internet critics, like what? 50, maybe, maybe more than that. Probably more than that. Only two important ones. That's the way I look at it. Yes, obviously. Um, but you know, it pulled these critics and we're all kind of of a certain age and lo and behold, back to the future made the top 10. Mm -hmm. And while I'm sure there are plenty of critics our age that look at that movie and say, and recognize that, one of the things it's doing is exploring the idea of viewing your parents or the older generation as actual people who Mm -hmm. felt things that you think they would never feel. Um, and looking at the past as being more complex and more of a living thing than we are taught to think of it as, I think there's a lot going on in, in back to the future, but when people talk about it and even people that I like and people that Mm -hmm. I trust and people that I know are smart when they talk about it, it winds up just, they might as well be speaking in memes. Uh, just like where we're going, we don't need roads and shit like that, which is, which of course is fine. But to me, nostalgia, nostalgia is like when people say like, Oh, we're riding the nostalgia train. I like that. I like using that phrase because it's meant to get you somewhere. But then when you're there, (laughs) you get off the train and you do what you're supposed to do. Right. You know, but I think I, if it gets you to a place where you can re-examine something, by all means. Well, let's talk, let's talk about re-examining. This is something that I hadn't initially occurred to me, but I was sort of reading around the internet, seeing what people had to say about nostalgia in cinema. Uh, and you and I have been mostly talking about actual individual nostalgia based on memory. Mm-hmm. But there's also cultural collective nostalgia. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Um, you know, uh, uh, about just assuming times were a certain way. Right. Do you know what I mean? I um, mean, make America great again was the whole right. idea. Like nobody knows exactly when you're talking about, Yeah. except, but it's just this idea that things were better before. Right. Before what? Ah, eh, yeah. We don't really so, know. We see that in movies a ton going all the way back. I mean, well, let's go back to, we talked about revisionist Westerns. Um, and the, those, you know, 
I mean, I think Vietnam, the, the end of the sixties, you know, the sixties in, in general, and then Vietnam and all that, you know, uh, I don't know if it's ever been put this way before, but that's when America lost its innocence. Um, <laughs> Uh, um, you, oh man, I laughed so hard on an Oscar night. Do you follow the great comedy writer Megan Amram on Twitter? She writes for the Good I, Place. Uh, I did, uh, but I don't anymore for a reason. Uh, I unf- a while ago I unfiled unfollowed like almost every comedian. Oh, okay. um, just because like for the same reason that I stopped listening to comedy podcasts and yeah. then slowly but surely started yeah. reintroducing them. But anyway, she tweeted on. Like Oscar afternoon, she said, look, I'm just going to be the first to say it. This is Hollywood's biggest night. <laughs> uh, that's uh, fun. Yeah. I, I, I love her Twitter anyway. Um, so, uh, you see, uh, depending on when you mark the beginning of the revisionist Western, um, I'm not, I'm not enough of a, uh, of a, um, an expert to know when that, when that starts, I mean, what you, uh, I think of, I mean, wild bunch is 69 before that you've got major Dundee, which I wrote about this week on the website. You can check I it saw out that, yeah. uh, in 1965. What year is fistful of dollars? Well, I'm reluctant to say fistful of dollars is a revisionist Western because it's, it's a spaghetti Western, which okay. because I've, I'd say when Americans started making Westerns that, ex, that explored more of a moral gray area. Yeah. yeah. I think that's when a revisionist, when you can say that's a revisionist Western, but like, you know, Sergio, Sergio Leone is not, uh, American. And so he just brought a completely different mindset to it. So I, okay. I would count wild bunch, but Let's I say major Dundee then 1965. There's probably something before that. I kind of, honestly, I kind of feel like man who shot Liberty Valance. Oh, what year is that? That's early. Uh, that is, that is earlier. And I, I think around there. Yeah. And I think the searchers honestly does a, a fair amount of that. Like okay. when you realize just how angry and genuinely bigoted, uh, John Wayne's character is in the searchers. Like, Oh wow. You start to wonder like, Oh boy, that's, that is, we haven't seen that before. The movie balance is until 62, 62. Okay. Yeah. That was, um, um, yeah. Okay. So like with anything, it does not like suddenly someone turned flipped a switch and right. Westerns were revisionist. But, um, to me in general, it's interesting that the revisionist Western takes root at a time when America is again, as I was the first person to ever say losing its innocence, mm-hmm. um, because so much of the, the Western myth is about, this is where, America was forged. Do you yeah. know what I mean? This is where the American spirit was, uh, tested and came out ahead. Yeah. Uh, and you start to get this idea of like, well, maybe this is the opposite. Maybe the West is where America lost its soul or at least stained its soul more than it's ever been able to make up for. Yeah. Because this is where, you know, chaos broke out and the uh native population was decimated um yeah. and and almost completely wiped out uh and this this is still with us in a way yeah um and, and so that's uh you know in obviously in a much broader way than something like far from heaven but that's also a a direct refutation of nostalgia mm-hmm. of collective nostalgia yeah um i was uh in class this week, I was lecturing on uh, genre theory, and 
I mean, speaking, I only had 50 minutes to talk about <laughs> the whole of genre theory, so I didn't go that deep, but I showed, in talking about Westerns, I showed a clip from Tombstone and then one from Unforgiven. Unforgiven came out in 92, Tombstone 93. Uh-huh. Tonally, you don't get more different. Like, Tombstone is very much like redemptive violence. Uh-huh. This is going to solve all of our problems. <laughs> and then I showed the clip of, you know, uh, to hell of a thing killing a man, you take away everything he has uh-huh. and everything he's ever going to have. And then kid says, you know, we have it coming. And he said, he, he says, well, they had it coming. He says, we all have it coming. Like, it's just such a, you know, and coming from the guy who became famous by being extremely violent, yeah. uh, saying that like, you know what, maybe this wasn't so great. And it just led to, you know, one of the neat things about the Western is that, uh, Anything, anything in it could be seen as a metaphor for, for America. And so when uh-huh. you get, when you, because it's just, it's this American genre. And so when the minute you have people start to think that, Hey, this guy's soul in, in unforgiven, like he is maybe irredeemable. He's trying so hard to be peaceful, to put that behind him but it's always going to be with him in the same way that when people say that like hundreds from years from uh, hundreds of years from now, when we, when slavery is pretty well far, uh, pretty far back, it's still going and, and, and native American genocide is still going to be like pretty far back. It's still, a, it's still in our makeup. Like it's still a part of what America was. It's a shameful, unfortunate thing that we got to try and work, try have to try to get away from but it's not going away. And in that same way, like any, any, uh, protagonist in a Western that you start to realize like, Oh boy, like this guy is deeply flawed. It's like, yeah, that's, and in, and these are the guys that settled the West and yeah, on one hand, like here we are in Los Angeles and we're kind of benefiting from that. Uh, but a lot of, terrible shit had to happen for us to be here. Um, and so I feel like, I feel like, yeah, it's, it's always interesting. Like John Ford with man who shot Liberty Valance and the searchers and then Clint Eastwood with unforgiven. It's really interesting when the guys who really perpetuated a lot of that, right. were willing to look back, but not, but without any, without their rose colored glasses, without their nostalgia glasses. And are like, Oh shit. Even the stuff that I made is not that great because it's trying to harken back to this amazing time that probably didn't actually exist. Sorry. I just spoke way too long on that. No, no, you didn't at all. That was, uh, that was great. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, I mean the, I guess I'm wondering if, uh, if other countries have this sort of thing, I've been thinking, um, and I didn't even think of it in this way until now, but you know, one of my least favorite movies of last year was Victoria and Abdul. Right. And I, I wonder if, uh, if, if British film has ever had that sort of reckoning or revisionism when it comes to movies about India, do you know what I mean? Sure. Because there's so many like, and I, and I think, the, I think a lot of the, um, earlier, like merchant and ivory stuff, um, is, 
is is good and and actually i think does a lot of that because it was um the the woman who wrote their movie wrote novels and wrote the movies was um uh uh both indian and english so mm-hmm. i think you got a uh uh, a good uh i'd like to think you got a good balance there i'm neither british nor indian yeah. so i don't know but um uh, I, I really found victorian abdul to be uh clumsy and seem out of out of date yeah um and i i uh, i guess that's putting me in mind, in mind of um we're getting like we're further abstracting the concept of nostalgia at this point yeah but um i'm thinking about a movie like empire of the sun or more recently, uh, still a few years ago now, um, was it called the impossible? Was that the, the, um, yes. The Thailand, yeah, you yeah. know, like movies that are about disasters or upheaval in, uh, parts of the world inhabited mostly by non-white people, but yeah. the stories are told through white characters, you yeah. know, at a certain point, like, are we, are we going to have more of a reckoning with, with that idea? Like is, or, you know, cause that still seems like a, um, you know, especially in the case of empire and the sun Empire of the sun, that seems like a colonialist idea, you know, to, yeah. to, to use the actual like native inhabitants of a place as, as backdrop, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I wonder if we're still holding on to, or if Britain is still holding on to, uh, uh, you know, India nostalgia. That's a good, that's a good question. And it's something that, um, you know, uh, in talking with some of my, uh, fellow students, uh, about darkest hour and about like just portrayals of Winston Churchill, like his colonialist attitudes are never explored ever. Hmm. Um, because he was considered the greatest Britain of all time. um, B R I T O N. Right. Sorry, I just wanted to make sure. I knew it. He's not the whole country. Um, I mean, he was a big guy. He was a, yeah. But come on. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and it's just not a thing that. I mean, there has been a lot of Churchill in the last eighteen years, and to my knowledge, they have never even come close to addressing that. Um, let's get back to nostalgia, okay? Because there's a couple of other things I want to touch on. Um, one is an interesting idea, I think, or, or just something worth exploring. Okay. One is a personal, maybe, maybe pet peeve, maybe burn my saddle. Okay. Let's start with the first one first, uh, which is specifically movie nostalgia or fake movie nostalgia. Like I, you know, none of us were around, uh, during the silent film era. Sure. The, the artist, that movie, right. the artist um, and in a couple of the other silent films that came out, there were like three. Yeah. There was um, Blanca Nieves, and the other one was the other one I didn't see. The third one I didn't see. Was it called? I want to say it was called Taboo. Is that was right? It taboo. The the artist was the only one I saw, but I I don't remember. Um, anyway, it sounds right to me. Uh, it, that that's a uh, a sort of rose colored view in a lot of ways yeah. um although i i really like the artist i feel like people i mean i feel like the worst thing that can happen for a movie's reputation is to win best picture absolutely <laughs> because i actually think the artist is really a good movie yeah um i'm not a big fan of cinema paradiso not that, that one best picture probably i think it won foreign. foreign film yeah yeah um that one seems a little too treacly 
uh, I never to saw me. It. Um, but, uh, I guess there's been more, there's like Hugo, which I didn't see, but there's, I, oh. I feel like I wrote down more of oh, these. Um, the majestic. Uh, okay. I didn't see that one either. That's one. I mean, That's it's not necessarily, yeah, it's not necessarily nostalgic for any particular movie, but more like, uh, an era of movie going, um, and just an era in general. And that thing is, ugh, it's like trying to walk through syrup. Um, and yet like I love Barton Fink and a big part of that is sort of, uh, you know, reliving an idea of what old Hollywood was like, but Barton Fink is not romanticizing. it. Yeah. I think that makes a big difference. (laughs) Um, I think an argument could be made that Hail Caesar does romanticize it. But when you recognize all the stuff that Eddie Mannix is encountering, you realize like "Eh, it's celebrating film, but maybe it isn't actually romanticizing the industry. Yeah. Uh, I really like Hail Caesar a lot. I do too. Um, Capital, capital pictures in both. Uh, Oh, that's right. Uh, okay. So this will get me into the thing that is a burn my settlement because the idea of being nostalgic for specifically for movie buffs to be nostalgic for, uh, uh, old, old movies in a way that they didn't necessarily actually exist or idea of them. Uh, this is where, and I think some listeners probably have already guessed where I'm going to go. Uh, the celluloid versus digital thing. Oh, sure. I feel like I, I'm a little bit hesitant because I, I know uh, I'm not blind to the fact that a 35 millimeter print and especially a 70, 70 millimeter print have more information per whatever yeah. than even a 4k projection. Yeah. I, I know that. Um, and so I understand, but I do suspect that there's a certain sort of nostalgic fetishism for sure. a lot of people and maybe in a fake nostalgic, like, or, or, uh, um, I remember, I keep wanting to say unremembered because I'm specifically thinking of, um, do you know the band LCD sound system? Did you ever listen to that? I know of them. Yes. They have a song, a very, a song you would love. Uh, I love it called I'm losing my edge. And he, uh, that's, it's about the sort of, um, early two thousands, like New York, like, uh, rock scene that gave us like the strokes and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And he, he talks about these, kids who, cause he's like the elder statesman, James Murphy. And he's he, and he specifically talks about nostalgia for the unremembered eighties. Uh, <laughs> yeah. that these, these people were like, they're like me and my and your age. They were too young to really, yeah. uh, be experiencing the eighties. You know, by the time the eighties were over, I was uh, still only seven years old or whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, um, so I, I, I do think things like, uh, we talked about Quentin Tarantino, but like the death proof thing, the thing that bothered you about, uh, like just, uh, missing reels or, or whatever, or missing like scenes yeah. or whatever. And the idea of celebrating that, um, seems like a really affected nostalgia. Yeah. I will like, I will stand by there. There are a lot of things that I've come around on with death proof and with the whole grindhouse idea. Um, that is not one of them. Like, I understand that you are trying, if you, if you're genuinely trying to recreate, uh, an experience, which I, maybe they are, and that's fine. Um, it's like, okay, that's good for you. Uh, mission accomplished, I guess. But at the same time, like the way you would, and this is external to the film, but like the way you would hear them talk about it, they'd be like, Oh my gosh, it's just, and it's like, 
it's almost like, Oh, I went, I go to this, this, uh, shitty diner and there's always a hair in my food. Like, yeah, you don't actually like that. Yeah. But once you've moved away yeah, and you think back on that diner, you're like, you know what? There was always a hair in my food. <laughs> like you look back on, it's like, yeah, in the moment it made you want to throw up, Yeah, but it's the only place you could afford. Here's the analogy I think of to differentiate, because I do think the cellular thing is tricky. Cause I said, if it's in good shape, it's preferable. Sure. But sometimes you go to the new Beverly and you're seeing a movie that is, uh, like a, an Eastman colored movie that is like completely pink at this yeah. point. And they're still showing that just because it's film. Here's the analogy I think of M- music geeks and rock nerds or whatever who prefer vinyl. That makes sense mm-hmm. because there is something to the idea that the vinyl sound is fuller and warmer than mm-hmm. the, uh, compressed and airless digital yeah. sounds on a CD or God forbid an MP3, which is mostly what I listen to, but I know that they're yeah. terrible, but now you're seeing a lot of, uh, a, a lot of bands, um, in the modern age. Yeah. And now oh, there's a new thing at the Alamo draft house. They have a VHS rental, uh, thing. New bands are putting stuff out on cassette and it's like, well, that's not, there's no reason that's just because you have fond memories of listening to music on cassettes, especially VHS fucking beta was better than VHS. <laughs> right. Like and that's ju- and that, that kind of that. And, and so I, I, I think there's a line to be drawn between like when I go to TCM fest and they're showing, I, I make fun cause I love to make fun of the purists yeah. and cause they're so easy to rile. <laughs> but when they're showing like nitrate prints, I, I trust the, the Turner people are, 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 are showing this because they think it's good and worth seeing, yeah. you know, but and I've seen plenty of great stuff with the New Beverly. I don't want to uh, make fun of it too much, but New Beverly does have these things where you'll see something that is in terrible condition. Yeah, and it's just because it's film, you know. Uh, and then because that, I guess that reminds me. Maybe it's like people who are younger than I am than we are. Sure. Because that reminds me of like in the early two thousands. Sometimes in Chicago, yeah, I'd go see something like a Doc Films. Like I see all the president's men. I saw all the president's men at doc films and the print was not in good condition, yeah. but also like they didn't have a DCP. Do you know what yeah. I mean? This was 2002 yeah. or 2003 or whatever. Like that's what they had. And so to me, you, you had to put it to grin and bear it. Cause yeah. that's what there was. But now the idea of like embracing, a uh, a, a poorly preserved 35 millimeter print because it's 35 and because you find something charming about the fact that it looks like you poured grenadine all over the thing. Yeah. Do you think the filmmaker would be thrilled? (laughs) Do you think that's how they want their movie to be seen? Yeah. No, they would want their movie to actually be seen. Uh, and it's like, yeah, this is what I had to work with. And if you have a great version of this, good. Now you're doing it as much as you can to replicate the ideal but if film is not going to let you do that, mm-hmm. if digital will let you do that, then I guarantee any filmmaker of the 20s, 30s, 40s, whatever, like any of them would say like, yeah, whatever lets you best see my movie <laughs> right. the way I wanted it to be seen. Yeah. And being able to manhandle the film itself was not a thing I cared much about. Yeah. Or maybe they cared a lot about it, but if it's between that and seeing and actually getting to see that like, Oh yeah, that I didn't, I never noticed that. Like that's, that would, that's what they would, I can't speak for them, but I'm pretty sure that's what they would want. Yeah. 
All right. Do you have anything else to add on this on this topic? We had a fun time. I think. I do think that I, I think you absolutely nailed it with Hugo. That like that was my that year. That was my overrated movie of the year. Hmm. It's visually gorgeous. There's a lot of great stuff. Ben Kingsley's a lot of fun in it, and it gives you the opportunity to think back on. You know, George Melier, who, by the way, made movies 80 years before I was born, (laughs) you know, so it's not like I'm thinking I'm not actually thinking back on him. But uh, in fact, I'm really not doing anything different with Hugo than I am with a trip to the moon. In both cases, I'm just watching something uh, and celebrating it by watching it right now and not remembering anything. But either way, um, like it didn't it didn't. It doesn't really develop its characters. Its story is really flimsy. Yes, of course it is gorgeous on a lot of levels. I can't, I won't take that away from it, but like all of these things that a film would need to do, Hugo didn't want to know why, because its primary audience was just swept away Mm. by this celebration of, of, silent film and, and the novelty of filmmaking at the time and George Melier and all these wonderful things. Like we were all swept away by it and didn't notice that Hugo is nothing. (laughs) He is a nothing character and it's, and it's a shame. And that is, that is what nostalgia will do. Now, if the film, obviously like if the film didn't have any visual quality to it or anything like that, if it wasn't a good use of 3d, um, then people would probably like it less, but it does nostalgia just like like we were talking about earlier with like a movie with a message you know nostalgia can be can be a message which is like oh things sure were great back then when mm-hmm. i was a kid and i was being formed into the person i am now like and it can it can blind you i think to certain flaws with a with a movie um and it might go the other way i know that we need to end but like it might go the other way are there ever was there ever a movie that you didn't like when you were younger and you have a hard time for, for some bullshit teenage reason or whatever that you have a hard, have a hard time letting yourself like now that's how I was with Titanic. Like I was 15 when it came out. I had a, like so many others. I'm like, ah, DiCaprio, whatever. Um, yeah. And so I I just, (laughs) but it's, that's the thing is like, and I also just didn't like the romance and all that kind of thing. And I, and I was angry that it won best picture over LA confidential. And then years later I look back and I was like, and I found my, and I watched Titanic and in my mind, I was like, this is really good. I mean, the script is pretty shit, but this is really good. And I, I had a hard time letting myself admit that this movie is actually pretty great. Uh, so that was a, yeah. it was nostalgia of a different kind. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I know there are movies that I've revisited and ended up liking like Magnolia, which I didn't like the first time sure. I saw it, but that's just, I think I was just un, unsophisticated or something, but I don't know if that had anything to do with nostalgia or like hangups that I had right. at the time. I'd have to think more about that. That's a good question. But that reminds me of something there was, I told you I was looking on the, on the internet for articles about this. I found an article from today okay. that I couldn't read because it was behind the Washington post paywall. <laughs> But I might just pay the because you you don't have to do a subscription. You can pay once to read an article, like a dollar or whatever. So as you know, Big Lebowski's twenty years old. Yeah. When it came out, the critical reception was mixed. So the critic for the Denver Post gave uh-huh. it four stars, yeah. and so my dad and I went and saw it opening night. 
Um, well, Washington Post went back and interviewed critics who had panned The Big Lebowski when it came out 20 years ago. Um, I couldn't read it because it's behind the paywall. That's but probably I, worth paying for. I it. might pay a dollar to read that to see what those people say. Because I'll bet a lot of them are like, yeah, I still don't like it that much. Yeah. You know, just because <laughs> society has said, oh, this is really good. It's like, yeah, well, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, or maybe not. I don't know. Like it's, that's a thing that always bothered me. This is, this is another episode, but when I was researching a paper about the vulgarization of film criticism, um, right. I ran across so many online articles like 20 movies that critics got wrong. Got wrong. And it's like, right, yeah. well, the hell are you talking about? Like, how 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 wonderful it is for you 40 years after this film came out you know and just yeah. like and by the way you're just talking about like audience opinion now don't get me wrong like yeah okay bonnie and clyde we all like bonnie and clyde now but it was a new thing and critics i don't think can be blamed for being like this movie's really violent yeah you know and just it's it's that kind of it's a different type of relationship to the past where like, Oh, we're so much better now because we know everything about the past. So what are we getting wrong now? Do you think? Mm, I think, do you think in 40 years when three billboards outside of Missouri is the top of the AFI? (laughs) Oh, you and I are going to be so ashamed. (laughs) We'll be like, uh, let's, let's not talk about that. (laughs) Yeah. Let's talk about the, the, the number five, which is ravenous. Let's talk about that. <laughs> All right. This is a fun conversation. Uh, you can find us at battleship pretension.com as you can find all sorts of, uh, past episodes, movie reviews, other sorts of things. I mentioned, uh, major Dundee. Um, I, I try to do a movie, uh, just a old movie recommendation every Monday where I link to here's where you can rent or stream it online. I have uh, never seen major Dundee who made it. Uh, it's a Sam Peckinpah movie. It's, it's his, that's right. Know, uh, it's mostly famous for having been, uh, an in, insanely troubled production because he was drunk off his ass. Oh, well, um, um, Charlton Heston. This is, I, I know, uh, that, you know, I'm a liberal and we hate Charlton Heston, but they're like, when it comes to movies and, no. I think this is a guy who liked and cared about movies. And, but and the he story was is, a big civil rights guy at the time, too. Um, that's something that oh, we yeah, need that's to true. remember. Um, but the story about uh, Major Dundee, which is that Sam Peckinpah was so drunk and so belligerent that at one point, um, Charlton Heston had to threaten him with a saber. <laughs> but then, when the studio was going to fire Sam Peckinpah and replace him, Charlton Heston said, no, don't do that. I'm, I'll give up my salary so that Sam Peckinpah can finish his movie. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, I do think you hear these stories and that that uh, Simon Callow uh, Wells biography, the third volume of it, where it talks about Touch of Evil. Like, you know, we make fun of Heston for playing like this Mexican, but like he was as much of a champion of that film as he could be. And he really like he fought for like Wells final cut as much as he could. But then Wells was so self-destructive and was so yeah. antagonistic towards the studio that it, after a while, Hessen's like, man, I'm, I'm trying here. <laughs> like <laughs> you are not helping. Um, but um, yeah, it was. Uh, and then the other uh, thing about Major ND, I mean, it's kind of a, you know, as you that's one with a knife scene, right? Um, like that's not yeah. a knife. This is a knife. No, so apparently the original director's cut was 
two hours and 36 minutes long and was uh, crazy violent and about 20 minutes got cut out, which has since been lost. Many of us in Amerson style. Apparently it's gone. Um, and then it got edited down to two hours and 16 minutes. And that version showed in previews that the audiences hated. And so they cut it down to two hours and three minutes. And that was the only version for a long time until 2005. Those 13 <laughs> minutes that were cut uh, were were restored. And that's the only version I've seen is the two hour and 16 minute version. I'd love to see the two hour but and 36 two, yeah, yeah. minute version, but apparently that 20 minutes is gone. Was it, a, was there that Monty Python sketch? And it was like, it was like, uh, like an afternoon picnic directed by Sam Peckinpah. <laughs> and it's like this very nice, well-to-do British family. And then just terrible things happen. <laughs> like, I think somebody throws like a croquet ball to like, like tosses it to Michael Palin and he catches it, but like it hits his eye and blood just squirts out. <laughs> I think that's what it is. I might be conflating two different sketches, but I think that's what it was. Um, anyway, so you can read about uh, major, major Dundee on the website. That's this week's Monday movie. Um, or actually, by the time you're hearing this, there'll uh, about about to be another one, uh, or might already be. Uh, so that's at battleshipretention.com. You can uh, email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretension.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at Davey Pretension. Uh, you can follow Tyler avoiding film Twitter over at Tyler Pretension. That's right. Uh, oh, and do uh, do follow us on Instagram. We're trying oh, yes. once again. We're trying to to build that back up. And what that's Battleship Pretension with no vowels. Is Go- that? Or is it just Battleship Pretension? I think it's just Battleship Pretension. Snapchat is the one with no vowels. That's the one. I haven't snapped in a bit. Well, you keep at it, buddy. I'll get back, I'll get back to snapping. Don't you snap it, um, And other than that, uh, thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.